Welcome to the All Dogs Are Good Dog podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Dick from Pack Leader Health, and today we're going to be making sense of dog behavior and dog training for the everyday dog person. You're listening to the All Dogs Good Dog podcast, and I have a wonderful guest today. They are actually a client of mine. They've been a client of mine um, virtually from New York, and I'm located in Virginia, and I'm going to have them introduce themselves. Hi, everyone. My name is Ashley Zayas. I am a licensed clinical social worker in private practice, and the name of my practice is BIPOC Restorative Therapy, LCSW. I work primarily with people who are in the BIPOC community and also who are LGBTQIA. I myself identify as trans, and I use they, them, and Z, them pronouns. And I wanted to have this conversation because I noticed in doing dog training with Brie that my own stuff <laughs> was coming out through how, how I was interacting with my dog Chico. And I figured that it's likely the same with other people and that we can kind of look at the, the things that you're doing or not doing with your dog and then what is coming through with that from your own past. Yeah, I think you make a you make such positive points like in our interactions. We've talked a lot about how um, the human really is the end all be all for the behavior in the dog. And even though there's other factors like how the dog grew up, maybe some genetic factors and breed factors in general, at least in my opinion, the large portion of what's going to shift dog's behavior is the relationship they have with the owner. And that relationship is really going to um, be strong on how that person feels about themselves and how they interact with people and other things around them. Because behavior in human beings don't, doesn't exist within a vacuum. It's going to be everything around that human is going to be affected. So talk to me more about where you saw things in your own relationship with your dog. Where did you, I mean, share a little bit more about your own experience, you know, if you're willing um, and see, and I want to figure out how was your dog's behavior affected by maybe your upbringing or the own things that you were dealing with? Right. Before I continue, I do want to say that this is not a replacement for therapy. And if you feel like you need therapy or want to seek out that assistance, um, then you can find a licensed profession, mental health professional in your area. Um, so the way that I saw this coming through in my relationship with Chico is that I struggle with setting boundaries with people and I was really struggling in doing that with him. So uh, I was allowing him to like sleep in the bed with me. I was giving him affection all the time. And he was also like really pushy for affection. So it just like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it lent into that even more. Yeah. Um, and so he was just like running the show really. And so through working with you, I learned that I needed to set more boundaries, but there was some resistance sometimes with, within me of like, wanting to do that feeling like I was maybe like hurting his feelings which are the sure. same kinds of thoughts that I have when I'm setting boundaries with people like oh I'm I'm maybe hurting their feelings or making them feel bad um and 
as time went on and I've followed what you've said, I've seen a lot of changes with him and that the boundaries really have helped with that. And as a therapist, I can see how this also goes with people. People also need boundaries. And like, this is something that we have in our day-to-day interactions with others. And so it's, it just like really clued me in into that. Yeah. I mean, I think what you're saying is therapists are people too. Yeah, <laughs> totally. We are humans and we have our own shit. And like, if you're seeing a therapist and they're not also seeing a therapist, like I wouldn't see that therapist. Because, That's us to me. Yeah. Like if as a therapist, you can't look at your own shit and like work to address it, then how are you helping other people to do that? Because you're not even aware of how your own shit is coming through in your sessions with that client. Right. And you're not allowed to say shit on the podcast, but. No, I'm just joking. I'm just kidding. I curse all the time. Um, yeah. this, is, this is explicit for sure. Um, I think what's been wonderful for me is that even though I have, I'm not a licensed um, health professional. I've been through a lot of therapy. I'm currently in therapy. I recommend it for everyone, specifically um, men. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I... A, a big portion of my job, I would probably say 75% of my job is coaching a human being, understanding family dynamics, understanding human behavior. So that way I can influence their behavior and then influence the dog's behavior. Because if I can't convince the human, that human's not going to convince the dog that they know what they're doing. You know what I mean? Right. So when you reached out and you're like, why don't we talk about how maybe how someone was parented or how they grew up, how that influences the the way that they interact with their dog. I'm like, that sounds incredible. That sounds amazing to me because that's what I'm dealing with every day. But I am not someone who can speak um, with the same level of expertise that you can. I can only speak from my small pool of experience with owners. Right. And at least from what I've seen, um, what exactly what you just detailed, which is there's a really strong urge for clients not to want to set boundaries with their dogs because they feel guilty. Mm-hmm. And I've said this in my podcast before, the people, the nicest people have the worst behaved dogs because mm-hmm. they struggle with setting boundaries because boundaries has a negative connotation with it. Right. And boundaries is mean. Boundaries is too assertive. And for me, boundaries is information and it's advocacy. Mm-hmm. And humans and dogs alike are going to thrive on information and when you advocate for yourself. Exactly. And something else that I noticed was that I actually had a hard time um, like praising Chico when he was doing well. Mm. And when I kind of looked at myself, I was like, oh, that's because I didn't get, there were like certain things that I got praised for as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had to like actively do something for that praise. Whereas like when we're training a dog to like just walk next to us uh, on a walk, it doesn't feel like the dog is actively doing something. Mm-hmm. And it feels like they're just doing what they're supposed to do, quote unquote. Sure. <laughs> right. And so I was like, oh, because I feel, you know, like when I was a kid, it's like I did the things that I was supposed to do and didn't necessarily get praised for those things. So it's like all of that was coming through and how I was wanting or not wanting to praise him. 
Right. It's so interesting for me to hear your perspective on things because we haven't gone deep into any of that. Mm -hmm. And I know that owners have to be feeling the same way that you're feeling. I don't know if they're as introspective as you, but I think a lot of times it's like challenging, like, well, why do I feel this way? Why is it so hard for me to like not sleep with my dog or reward them when they need to? We have these preconceived notions of how things should or shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And it's often not challenged in the way that you're challenging it. Right. So it's really interesting how you've connected those things with how you're interacting with Chico and how you were raised. Yeah, because this is yeah, in yeah. the mind of a therapist, like doing this all day. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, I live very similarly to that. Mm-hmm. And I think when I slow down and I really think about things, um, I feel the same way. I think a lot of people, this is my theory with the dog training world, there, it's, it's mostly white men. Mm-hmm. mostly white men who are ex-military, ex-cop or whatever, who get into like dog training. And it's getting a little bit more diverse, but- my opinion is a lot of people get into dog training for control because you feel like a Jedi. You feel like you have this incredible power over things Mm -hmm. and you don't always get in it for the right reasons. I thought in the beginning that I got into dog training for the right reasons because I've always been passionate about dogs and animals. Mm -hmm. But I think the reason that I got into it at the time I did was about control because I was looking at my life and looking at the things I had control over and didn't have control over And being able to mold and shape an animal is a really powerful thing. Right. And it's really interesting. The more I have gone to therapy, the more I've addressed the issues that I've had in my own life. um, And the more that I I can relate back to how I grew up with someone who micromanaged and controlled me, Mm -hmm. um, the better I've gotten as a trainer because I've let go of the need to control. And it is, it's so interesting just to see how, the way that owners interact with animals um, based on their need for therapy. Um, and it's in, and I see this all the time with families too, right? Where like the kids are out of control, the dogs are out of control. Right. And I'm like, some, I think the chicken, which came first, the chicken or the egg, you know right. what I mean? Was it yeah. this or did, was that dog actually out of control when you got it? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what has been the most, eye-opening thing for you over the last year with working with a behaviorist? I would, those two things that I pointed out um, and just kind of like realizing how my personal stuff was coming through in how I was treating my dog, because that's not something that I had ever considered before. And I grew up with dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, And just to like actively have sessions with you and then like see where my blocks were coming up and just like really thinking more into that and just like, oh shit, like, um, you know, I'm not wanting to praise him right now, even though he's doing really well, because I feel like he should be doing something more for some reason. Right. Mm, Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's been, uh, the main thing and just kind of pushing through that to, you know, still give him, you know, that praise when he deserves it because he is doing something. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that you use the word deserve and I would use the word need. Mm, Yeah. Because affection or food or toys or whatever it is, for me, it comes down to a need for information. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And you, you'll give like, 
say you have a dog who's walking next to you perfectly all the time. They don't really need the praise all the time because they're naturally doing that and they they don't really need that information anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it, I mean, it's interesting that you use that word because I'm always thinking about, well, what does the dog need? And yes, I want to consider what, the, what does that dog deserve? I think dogs deserve to have their um, mental and physical needs fulfilled. But for me, when you talk about praise, I talk about the dog needing that in order to succeed and feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a question I wanted to ask that I got, I just got off topic here, and it's okay if we sort of got, go all over the place, um, because yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna edit this anyways. Right. Um, I actually want to go back to what you were saying about control. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what you were saying about control that um is really interesting. I hadn't thought of that either. Like in the reverse perspective of like why dog trainers go into dog training mm-hmm. um, and what's interesting about it is as humans we do tend to seek control wherever we can if we feel like there are too many things that are out of our control mm-hmm. so uh like what you were saying with yourself you didn't feel like you were in control of things in your life. And then you were like, oh, not consciously, but subconsciously Mm -hmm. you said, okay, I can control this dog's behavior. So that's an area that I can have control over. And with that, I wonder if there are people that get dogs in order to have control over a being. Absolutely. um, Right. And then when they're they either go to really extreme measures to do that, like hitting the dog or just like constantly punishing the dog, mm-hmm. not showing any affection, having them tied outside all the time, you know, those types of things. Um, or they say, you know, once they realize they're having issues with the dog, maybe they say, oh, you know what, this is a bad dog. Mm -hmm. And this dog is not listening to me. So I'm just going to get rid of it. Definitely. And I see the extreme of both sides of control where I see more control is not the physical abuse, but it's the emotional and psychological abuse of affection, affection, affection. Mm -hmm. I have this emotional void that I either don't know how to or refuse to address and I need something to love me I need something like I often I would probably say maybe 60% of my clients reach out to me and they're like I got this dog as an ESA Mm -hmm. and they got this dog from a shelter shit genetics had a terrible upbringing could never tolerate being somebody's support but we are I need to control I need something to feel like it loves me Right. And I need to feel that level of control over that. Well, um, um, a guy or I had a bad relationship, they left me, but this thing can't leave me. And that's what I have control over. Definitely. And I think the more we, the more our lifestyle changes and the more we integrate dogs into our day to day life, I'm, my job is actually only getting more of a necessity. Whereas like we, we treated animals and we treated people differently and that doesn't make it bad or wrong. But the way that we interact with dogs now is like they are, emotional crutches for us and it's a really unfair burden in my opinion to put on a dog because you are whether it's conscious or not you've decided okay I need to look inward and figure out why am I feeling this way when I'm when my trainer is telling me to do this why do I struggle with setting boundaries with my dog whereas a lot of people 
either don't have access to it or they don't know how to really slow down and be a little bit more mindful and figure right. out where are these patterns of behaviors coming from. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, unfortunately, that's what keeps me in business. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's very interesting for you to see like the, there's one end where someone is going to compulsion, like be pretty abusive and physically abusive to the dog and just want to physically control it and have it listen to it whenever it wants. And then the other end of that where it's like the emotional control where you want the dog to love you so badly. So you smother it with affection. Right. And give, and give it treats and whatever food it wants all the time. Um, even though, you know, the dog is gaining more and more weight, which right. is unhealthy for it and going to lead to less of a lifespan for your dog. Um, but that's also like super common of people feeling like they can't say no. <laughs> mm. Right. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I would say m- most of the dogs I work with are overweight because mm. they're either free fed or overfed and every, okay. I, some dogs are ugly. Let's get that off the bat. <laughs> Some dogs are ugly, okay? But every single client I deal with is saying, well, he gets away with it or she gets away with it because they're cute. And I'm like, it's not that cute. You have a doodle. Look, come on. <laughs> but no, you're right. That that boundary setting is, I wish I could do, I like, I would love to have you do maybe like a virtual seminar on boundaries in general. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I would love to, to yeah, get going. That sounds great. <laughs> because it's hard for everyone. I think it's hard yeah. specifically for people who, um, like women, especially in society, um, <clears throat> because we're told that our boundaries don't matter in so many ways. Exactly. Right? Yes. Even this is like such a simple thing, but this is probably one of the first ways that we learn that our boundaries don't matter is when an adult is tickling a kid and mm-hmm. a kid is saying stop no ah, whatever too much right and the adult just keeps going um that yeah. is like one of the first ways that we learn like oh it doesn't matter if I'm saying no or stop or whatever because this person is just gonna keep doing what they want to do definitely and that's programmed in us whether we're conscious of it or not mm-hmm Um, I want to pivot back to, I mean, it's talking about boundaries, but what was the shift for you? Like, where have you feel like you've really felt or where have you shifted your behavior with Chico? What has helped you feel more confident in your ability to set boundaries with humans and with dogs? Okay. There's a few things coming to mind. Um, one, I said to myself, I am paying for this service, so I better make the most out of it. Um, yeah, that helps. Um, right? Like, let me listen to what Brianna is telling me. Yeah. Um, and so with doing that, then I started seeing the changes in his behavior, right? And I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Like, I'm not struggling as much with him. And like, it's a lot easier to do certain things. Um so that certainly helped a lot, just seeing those, in, not immediate, but like it didn't take too long to start seeing those little um, improvements. Sure. And then that kind of fuels more. And then also for in my situation, when we first started working, I was living with a roommate 
and now I live alone. So it's a lot easier now to have my structure with him because I don't have another person that is like derailing it sometimes. Yeah. Um, So since moving, his behavior has like improved so much more and so much faster um, than when I was living with a roommate who was more inconsistent with him. <laughs> yeah, and that and that's why the only difference between myself and my clients is consistency. Mm-hmm. It's consistency in message. I mean, that's just everything in life, right? right? But the thing about animals and humans is with humans, you can ask the rationale behind it. Mm-hmm. Like if your behavior shifts, I can ask you why. Right. Our dogs don't have the ability to do that. And so we have to give those black and white messages of we're either 100% doing this or 100% not doing this. Um, I, are there some really, really intelligent dogs who can understand context a little in more nuanced things? Sure. But the average dog cannot. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm training in general. Right. It's like, you know, the average pet dog. So I, I work primarily with families and there's so many moving parts. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think some therapists get into couples and their or families and right. some people like that is just not my cup of tea because you are managing so many moving parts and you're trying to set a clear, consistent message. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you offer like couples uh, or family therapy or anything like that? I offer couples. I don't offer family. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Really, it's because there's like additional paperwork that you need for the kids. And I'm just like, I'm right now, I'm not at a point where I really want to do that. Yeah. Um, And I'm fully virtual. So I think doing that with a family would be more difficult. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about that because I often feel like a therapist, a family therapist, and more specifically a couples therapist. I am always in between typically the um, girlfriend or wife Mm -hmm. and then the husband or boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And that boyfriend or husband is like, ah, the dog listens to me well. And I'm like, all right. You can physically manage the dog, but it doesn't listen to you. And then I have the girlfriend or wife saying, um, I'm trying my best. I'm like, you know, really doing all the things that you're telling me to do. And then I get stuck in between, which is I need to like figure out how to help both parties because I'm trying to convince the boyfriend or the husband that you need to do these things and maybe occasionally reward the dog and not just like choke up on a prong collar. Right. <laughs> um, so how for my for the people listening to this who are struggling with getting their family or their partners on board with training, what sort of advice would you have when you're dealing with a conflict about what to do either like with kids or big decisions, like what to do when you have a dog with behavioral problems? Well, first I want to kind of bring it, I want people to understand like what the dog is seeing. So pretend that you're a student and you have two different teachers and one teacher is giving you one message. Let's say you're learning math. The teacher A is, you know, telling you one way of how to do a certain math problem. Teacher B tells you a completely different way of doing it. And you're interacting with these teachers sometimes at the same time and sometimes one at a time, right? You're going to be super confused because you're trying to learn a new skill and you're getting different messages about it. And so you're in your head, you're like, oh my God, do I do it this way? This person taught me like this. So I guess with this person, I I need to do it this way. And then this other person did it that way. But then when you're together, it's 
when the teachers are together, it's like, whoa, um, I'm not sure what's right here because I've learned these two different ways. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, there's so much, even right now, I can think of three situations that I don't want to like give too much detail because I think it would give it away, but there is so much confusion and conflict between the partners and it's can be so hard to convince one of the partners that first of all, I know what I'm doing and you're paying me to know what I'm doing. Right. And so I think it really gets frustrating for the client who's paying because they're like, I'm paying you to train my dog. And I'm like, there's so much internal conflict between you and your partner that that just feeds into how the dog is viewing it. Completely. Like, I don't know who I should be listening to. I don't know which way to go. Mm -hmm. And if as a couple, you're not on the same page about this, then you're in that both teachers are here and I don't know how to do it right now because I'm not sure which way that I was taught is the right way. Um, And so uh, with what you were saying of like, oh, the guy tends to be the one who says, oh, you know, the dog listens to me. And then Mm -hmm. the woman tends to say, you know, I'm doing all the things and it's just like not working out. Yeah. Um, In that scenario, I can totally see the guy saying, yeah, we're paying for this for my girlfriend, wife to learn mm. how to interact with the yes. dog. Not oh. so that I can learn. <laughs> yes, every day. I'm not lying. I'm not exaggerating. I am not exaggerating. I hear yeah. that exact verbatim line. <laughs> verbatim line. Because this is what happens. This is my, uh, this isn't even a theory. This is what I see in practice. Mm-hmm. Men in general are physically bigger than women. I yes. would say on average, right? So they're physically stronger on average. Um, and they feel like they can physically manage the dog more, which which helps with confidence. And confidence is why the dog would listen to a, a different handler. And so what happens is because, especially with reactivity, the man can physically manage the dog better. Like if it reacts, it can just pull the dog away and it feels confident in the ability to do that or they do. And, you know, the person who is smaller or the girlfriend or wife is smaller Um, They don't feel confident in their ability to pull that dog away when they're reacting. The guy has convinced himself that the dog listens better, but the reality is your dog wouldn't be reacting at all if it was trained. Right. You know what I mean? So it's not teaching, you know, the other partner, the wife or the girlfriend, um, we're just paying for her to learn. It's like, no, you, she needs to learn how to mentally and physically manage and you need to learn how to emotionally and mentally manage. Um, but no, that same line I hear every single day. You're spot on. Do you yeah. notice that a lot in therapy? Um, so I I don't get that message so much like with uh, couples of like, oh, we're paying. I, well, you know what? Let me rephrase that because the messaging is like, oh, we're here because she wants to be here. Mm, yep. Yeah. She said that we have to do this. So here I am. Right. And then you have to get through all of that resistance <laughs> from the other partner because they're they're not invested yet. Right. Right. And that's the same thing that goes on in your training. The they're not invested. And right. so they're going through the motions of being there, mm-hmm. but they're like half checked out because they don't think it's for them. Absolutely. Yeah. So um a way to manage that is maybe you could do like a setup of you know you're teaching the person 
who is resistant something and mm-hmm. have someone else try to teach them the same thing a different way and see how confused they get. <laughs> mm, yeah. Oh, you got to do like a physical thing so that they can like see it in practice of like how their dog is likely feeling yeah. um, and how everything is going to work better if they're both on the same team and giving the same messages. Definitely. Yeah. And I'm always looking for new ways to provide perspective and to explain things. Um, I love being able to articulate things in different ways. So that way any owner in any situation can understand what I'm trying to get across. Right. I mean, I'd say I'm pretty good at that, but that doesn't mean I'm not constantly learning and changing. (laughs) I mean, just like for you, you're constantly learning and changing and figuring out different techniques and different tools that you can apply with your own clients. Right. Got off on a tangent here. <laughs> okay, so back to dog stuff. Yeah. Um, I would say, so primarily, I wouldn't say a lot of my clients are women, but a lot of people who reach out are women. Mm-hmm. And um, what would you say to someone who is struggling with their dog right now? Like if you had words of advice when they have a really reactive dog, they're kind of feeling hopeless about things. In fact, maybe they've had a session with me or Julianne and they're kind of feeling resistant mm-hmm. to learning. What advice would you give them? I would say to be open to the possibility first that your dog's behavior can change and that you can change. Like your behavior with your dog can change. And it's all about making those choices to make those changes. If you keep acting the same way with them, your dog is not going to change because there's nothing different about how you're interacting with them. But the more information that you can give your dog about what you're looking for and what you need out of the relationship that you have with your dog, then the more that your dog can say, okay, this is what my, you know, dog parent needs. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so now I know what to do. And I also know that this is a safe person for me. I think part of like not having boundaries is like your dog doesn't feel safe with you because they don't know, I guess, like what mood you're going to be in that day. Um, If you're going to be more or less strict with them on a particular day. So by having that structure, like it just like clears everything up for all of you. And then you feel more confident in your ability to manage your dog's behavior. Um, You are able to see the changes that are happening and they're going to be small changes at first. Just like when we learn something new, we get better little tiny bits at a time. Right. And just by seeing that, then it kind of goes in a reverse cycle of like, okay, I'm putting in the work. My confidence is growing because I'm seeing it go. And because my confidence is growing, it's easier to put in the work. When, you know, before starting this journey of dog training, it's the other way around, right? I'm, Mm -hmm. you're not putting in the work and you see that your dog is acting in ways that you don't want your dog to act. And then you become frustrated Mm -hmm. and then getting those feelings of like defeat and this is never going to work out. And then that feeds into the not doing the work and then you're, you know, there's like, it's that whole cycle. So if we can reverse that and uh, give the dog the information that it needs 
And then you also are getting information in this loop of like, okay, if I do this, then these are the outcomes. Right. And I think, I mean, the first step to any, any change, whether it's in a dog or a person or both, is a level of optimism and hope. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, I know there's a light at the end of the tunnel and I could be, I could be handed like the worst case dog. And I know that there's some level of hope Mm -hmm. and that just comes from experience and expertise. And for you, when you're working with clients, I think most people are probably reaching out at a level of like hopelessness where they are really looking for someone to breathe some life back into whatever hope they may have lost. Mm -hmm. And that's my job too. Right. But then you also get, I, for humans, seeing is believing. Mm-hmm. And that's why in the beginning, I think I, I'm always taking the dog's perspective and the human's perspective mm-hmm. in, in consideration. And what that means is maybe the dog would do better on a slip lead. But in order to breathe some hope back into this relationship for the owner, I'm going to use a prong collar to just give them 10 minutes of like a really relaxed walk. Is that the final goal? No, but you, I could lose that owner and they're just going to lose all hope and they're just going to stay in frustration without that tool. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like, what's worse using a tool that I probably wouldn't use the first time or that dog being rehomed because there's no hope that he can change. You know what I mean? And then the other part of that is I think that when it comes to setting boundaries with your dog, at least what I have found in my own therapy is there's a lack of trust in yourself. You don't Mm -hmm. trust that you yourself can hold yourself accountable to a boundary. Exactly. And that's really, really, really hard to work through. For me, it was the most difficult. I didn't trust that I could take care of myself. Yeah. And something that comes up with a lot of people. Yeah. And I'm like, if I can't take care of me, I know I can't take care of this thing in front of me. Mm -hmm. And um, until I really started taking a deep dive into my own issues, it was hard for me. I kept like saying I was going to do things and then I wasn't doing them. And that creates insecurity and anxiety in yourself. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happens with your dog Mm -hmm. where you're like, oh, I'm going to do all this stuff or I'm not going to do all these things. And then in the moment, you just don't do what you're supposed to do or what you need to do. Right. And then that continues the cycle of guilt because guilt just becomes that cycle of, Mm -hmm. you know, not seeing these things and then getting frustrated and disappointed. And um, I'm trying to think of what I would want to say to someone who's stuck in that cycle what would you say if someone's stuck in a guilt cycle or a frustration cycle, what's something that they can do very quickly when they're feeling very defeated with their dog? What, what would you say to them? I would say to just start with one step towards whatever your end goal is. I'm guessing if people are listening to this podcast, they're either um, currently doing dog training with someone, whether that's with you or someone else or they're trying to absorb as much information as they can to try to do it on their own. So like take something that you've seen that, you know, kind of aligns with you and just start doing it. Set an alarm for yourself if you need to, if it's like a timed thing that you, you know, or if the alarm is just going to help you remember to do it each day and just start with that one thing because you have to start somewhere And if you fall off the bandwagon, as they say, you can get back on and it's okay that you missed a day or you missed a week or, you know, however much time it is, but you have to get back on it and just start doing it. Mm, And that's that's a decision. Yeah. Like don't guilt trip yourself 
in that time, like that you stopped or, you know, you know, missed a couple of days because by doing that, you're actually making it harder for you to start doing it again. So just say, okay, you know what? I took a few days off. Let me start back tomorrow or let me start back today. So that's so there's a, there's a level of grace and forgiveness to your, towards yourself. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's more motivating than, you know, pointing your finger and saying like, oh, you dumb ass. <laughs> <laughs> you lazy piece of shit. Right. Like, <laughs> like, and especially if someone's like paying a dog trainer, <laughs> I'm sure that voice is like even louder. Like you stupid, like you're paying for this. Yeah. Um, but, like you're not doing the things, but if you can just like quiet down that voice, just like let it know, hey, I hear you. Like I hear your concerns, but it's okay. I'm just going to start back by doing this tomorrow. It's going to be so much easier to just like get up and do it because you don't yeah. have the weight of the guilt on you. So if you're listening to this and as a reminder, rehabilitation uh, is not linear. There's not like a linear path to the finish. There's good days. There's bad days. There's great days. There's horrible days. And those are all going to be sandwiched in to where you are right now in your goal. So if you've fallen off the bandwagon or you feel like you haven't been doing as much as you want to do, number one, don't make it a big deal. It's over. It's done with. I hope that you provide yourself with some grace because life happens right. and you're not a full-time dog trainer. And even if you are, life happens. Mm hmm and hopefully you're willing to get back on the horse and start working <laughs> with your dog again because they they are just waiting for you um, and they're not holding anything against you. Dogs live within the moment and they are so loving and forgiving and that's why that's part of the reason why I just love being around them so much because I chose to be a dog trainer and not pursue law full time because dogs give me something that no other occupation can, which is it requires me to be in the moment. And that's really helpful for anxiety. Totally. Um, it's a profession that does not, um, I don't have the luxury of thinking about what's going to happen in the future, what happened the day before. I just have to be right there in the moment with that dog and the owner. Mm -hmm. um, so are there any final notes that you want to add to this? I also just want to say thank you so, so, so much. I know this has been a long time coming. It only took me getting whiplash and sick to <laughs> get this done, but um, thank you for sharing your thoughts. And I, and I would actually love to do this again sometime um, and maybe have some more specific questions if people ask them. Yeah, that would be amazing. Um, is there anything you want to add? Um, I guess just final thoughts of you're not going to be perfect. Your dog is not going to be perfect. And it's all okay accept where your shortcomings are and work through them if possible, right? There are some things that we're not going to be able to really improve all that much on ourselves. But if you're just trying at it, right? Like that's the most that we can do. And, you know, the saying uh, practice makes perfect, I don't believe it, practice makes better is more in line with my, uh, my belief system. So just keeping that in mind with your dog, right? The more that you practice these things, the better it'll get. It was an honor to have Ashley on the podcast today. I'm so glad they were able to chat more about how we can improve our relationship with ourselves and therefore our dogs. I'm going to link all of their information in the show notes below. So if you're interested in following them on social media or checking out their private practice in New Jersey, that'll be in the show notes. 
Thank you guys for listening. If you liked it, please shoot me a review. Those are so, so, so appreciated just to let other owners know or listeners know that you liked it and you found it informative. And follow me on every social media platform at Pack Leader Help, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And I look forward to chatting with you guys more. Have a great week.